This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to The Bounce Show, the 11th of January. If you're listening live, hello, good morning. Welcome to the Thursday. Hey, if listening to our podcast, well, thank you for joining me again. The year is very much on the go sports-wise. It's a big week here. We've got SA Open here in South Africa in Glendower, up here in Gauteng. I'm going to go watch that tomorrow. You know, when it's in your hood, you got to support these events. And all of SA's big golfers, barring Louis Oosthuizen, are all there. And it'd be about time we get like, okay, I know Brandon Stone won a couple of years back, but we need to start dominating this event more. Obviously, I'm a passionate golfer and South African, hence I think that. Test cricket, well, it doesn't get better, does it? Test cricket is the greatest thing in sport when it works well. And last week at Newlands, this week, last week, I don't know, I'm still in kind of festive mode. But the Indians, they came, they shouted from the slips, they acted out, but ultimately they lost by 72 runs in an enthralling test battle. It was very entertaining. And to all the Indian listeners out there or people who follow me on Twitter, you guys are the best. I must say, you're the most easily trollable people I've ever come across on this medium. But your passion for the game is brilliant. And uh, long may it always, always remain. There is quite a lot of football in the go at the moment, but I don't think it's one of the bigger weeks. I know the Caraboa, Caraboa, I don't know, that League Cup thing, that's on the go right now. Arsenal drew with Chelsea. Uh, Arsenal out of the FA Cup, of course, but they drew with Chelsea last night. And, well, Bristol, they did very well against Man City to take them so far into that first t- first uh, tie. But uh, 2-1 Man City, and they'll just roll them in the second leg, no doubt. Fitz managed to win last night in the PSL, so they've been rooted at the bottom of the defending champs for quite some time now, but they got a great win last night, 2-0 against Supersport United. And with that, maybe a glimmer of hope that they can salvage something from the season. Look, they're definitely not going to win. Not obviously because of the bottom of the log, but Sundowns are probably going to you know, streak away, be the team everyone knows they're going to be. But for Fitz, well, it's just one of those soul searches. And it's a great way of kind of reevaluating who you are because... I think it was Piers Morgan that popularized the, the saying, one day you're cocking the block, the next day you're a feather duster. It's a feather duster season for Vitz right now. Uh, if you are a Vitz fan, my condolences are with you. Although, if you really want true tragedy, just support the teams I support. You know which ones they are. Today I've got, not one, I've got two guests for you. I've got Justin Wolford here in studio. Justin is from Conquer Sport. Now, if you remember a couple of years back, uh, I think it was about two years ago, we had Kyle and Dan from Conquer Sports. Then Dan had a bit of a more regular feature every month where he spoke about obviously what Conquer Sports does. And he had some really amazing articles that he used to unpack here in studio. So Justin's not going to talk about articles. He's going to talk about what the actual, um, what the organization is doing. Now, as we know from our original chats with Conquer, the reason I wanted to get them in the studio is because they do really amazing and imaginative, innovative things around sport and getting really smart like-minded individuals together to kind of progress uh, the certain codes by just great idea sharing, best practices, uh, bringing innovation to places where things have been more in the box. So Justin's in studio. We'll be chatting about uh, the recent summit they had in Cape Town and what else we've got to look forward to from such an innovative organization. And then we've got, well, the Ashes Roundup. So we all know England went there. Nine out of ten now, England. Losses in Australia when it comes to test matches. Uh, why is this happening? Uh, we're going to chat to Dennis Friedman, our favorite Australian, basically. He's always so, he's always great value because Dennis, not only is he hugely knowledgeable, but he also loves giving the, the English a bit of a dig. And he's also quite pragmatic with how things are going in Australian cricket. So I'm going to probe him on the fact that, you know, was this a hollow win for the Aussies? Is it going to mean they're going to come to SA as favorites for the, the big series? I mean, let's be honest. The Ashes was a bit of a warm-up for the SA versus Australia series, which is happening in March, as is India being here right now, really, just to kind of dust off the cobwebs. And yes, if you're English or Indian and you think I'm being really arrogant right now, well, so be it. All we ever care about in cricket is SA versus Australia. Ah, okay, we care about a lot of other stuff. SA versus Australia, that's the pinnacle. That's kind of like where the box and the All Blacks used to be. So, got that to look forward to. Uh, Air's Moon Safari... Such a great album, this. This is in the background. 
You know, I basically only do intros so I can listen to songs I haven't heard in like years. So thanks for indulging me on that. Anyway, let's stop dicking around. We need to get into our interviews. Justin is here sitting in studio. If you got any, uh, if you want to interact with the show live, I know, um, it's mostly a podcast audience and I, I thank you for being innovative to be in the podcast space. But if you do want to interact live, there is always opportunity. You can tweet me at follow the bounce. That is my full time Twitter handle. Probably what I'm most active on on social media. Otherwise, WhatsApp zero seven nine seven four eight two zero nine zero. That is the in studio WhatsApp line. If you have any questions around any discussions I'm having with my guests or just general sporting discussions, if we've got time and uh, they're appropriate, well, we'll throw them in. Just love this track. I don't know. Going through a bit of a resurgent phase of French indie chill music. Anyway, Justin, hi. Good to good to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, hang on a second. You're on mic three. Sorry, Justin. I know I come across as being hugely professional, but I often cock things up. So, um, yeah, like I said in the intro, we've had Dan. Uh, obviously, Dan works here. Justin is uh, the CEO of Conquer Sports here in South Africa, which um, is quite something for someone of your age, Justin. I don't mean that in any respect, but you've done a hell of a lot in sports while still mm. being so tender of age. Absolutely. It's a passion. <laughs> now, a lot of people get into sport by working in other areas. Um, I know I worked in, I got into sport after working in corporate and hating it. And then I worked in advertising because I want to learn how to articulate a story. You've been sport from day one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was a provincial cricketer, uh, at a young age. Um, passion was in sport, always wanted to be in sport. And, uh, yeah, decided to pursue a career in it and, and throw, throw everything at it. And it's actually ended up being extremely exciting. Obviously it's got its own challenges, but, um, it's hopefully going to pay off. All right. Well, don't be so hard on yourself. You seem to be doing all right already. Now, uh, school born, raised here in South Africa? Um, born in the UK, okay. um, educated in South Africa. Um, most of my professional career has been in the UK. Um, lived in London for over five years. Um, and that's really where my skill set from um, a sports perspective came from. Um, so I worked with a lot of clubs, leagues, federations globally, and that gave me an opportunity to really identify um, a niche or at least an opportunity for um, us to you know, form a, an organization that primarily focuses within the sports performance industry. Now, it's quite a bold thing because when you think about getting involved in sports, you know, there's obviously there's many avenues to get into. There's some existing structures. Obviously, after studying, you had a rather interesting internship, which must have opened your eyes to what is really possible out there. Tell us a bit about that to start off with. So I um, was very fortunate to... Um, be selected for the IMG International Internship, which um, you go through quite a rigorous process to get there, um, but it was it, it provided an opportunity. So they take two international students every year, and I applied and very luckily got the job. Um, so that in itself put me, um, you know, on the on the stepping stone, um, and that really set the tone for where I wanted to take or my career. So at IMG, which is International Management Group, so they are a sports management firm. So I, that's not necessarily pretty where, well known, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they primarily focus within, um, you know, management. So they look at representing players and athletes, which is really what I wanted to become originally. I wanted to become an agent. Um, over like, the like a Jerry Maguire kind of. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, managing, you know, top footballers. Um, that's really where my passion, um, or where I saw that I could, you know, make a career. Um, being involved in that environment actually opened up a number of other opportunities um, where I got actually placed onto the sponsorship side. So that's where my, I suppose, sales ability came through, um, working on the mass participation division. Now, that division within IMG specifically hosts the London Triathlon, Blenheim Triathlon, so mass participation events. So I was um, really tasked to try and identify sponsors um, and try and obviously sign them. And that in itself provided a lot more opportunity um, in itself. Um, uh, after six months, I decided that that wasn't necessarily for me, mass participation sport. So I um, stuck my CV out and actually ended up working for a management consulting firm in London, um, which is primarily focused within the sports performance industry. So that's really where this opportunity to start Conquer came along. So I worked with a lot of coaches, managers, trainers, the, the team behind the team to try and help them upskill themselves by identifying certain methodologies or practices that other organizations are using and provide that knowledge or or those principles for the coaches um, in a sense to try and identify the challenges and weaknesses that they currently face. 
So this is kind of why I wanted you on the show today because mm-hmm. um, I, was, I was actually just talking to Justin Pro to coming to the studio is that when you work in sport, I believe you get a lot of repetition. The same things kind of happen, especially around big events. You know, it's just like Groundhog Day eventually, another year, another thing. And in this country, I guess, another year, another set of the same problems and the same kind of things happen. And before you know it, nothing's really happened. But what really appeals to me about what you guys do, and you in particular, is that you're always looking for excellence in sport. Now, that isn't just about, say, you know, getting better performance to win a race or whatever. Excellence is across the board because sport is so overreaching. I mean, it touches everything. And what you guys do, and we'll touch on the summit in a second, is that you are basically putting these best practices together, getting the right people together to cover the furtherment of sport, essentially. Is that a fair way of kind of breaking down what you guys do? Absolutely. Um, I think it's not just necessarily sport in itself. You know, we also work with military organizations, so U.S. Navy SEALs. What are they doing to um, errat- to enhance decision-making under pressure? That also can be applied into sport. Looking at the corporate space, you know, how do they build winning team cultures, extracting that knowledge and helping the sporting industry see how they can deal with big egos, um, again, high-pressure situations. Um, all those different facets, are, it's almost a cross-pollination. So it's identifying what organizations are doing the best practices and extracting that knowledge and providing an opportunity for other organizations to hear from or at least learn from those practices to implement into their own organizations. Right. Now, there's a very interesting part of your website where it says your influence, uh, you influence organizations and leadership teams that push the boundaries of business and sports performance. Now, you read that, you think, great, why isn't everyone doing this? How difficult is it? You know, you guys have got a vision, you've got an objective. I mean, how difficult is it to really get out there and really affect change? I mean, sorry, let me me restructure that question by saying, how do you structure your objective in order to make sure you get the best? Uh, outcomes. That's a good question. Um, so th- there's a number of different, <laughs> there's a number of different things that we do. So we've got an advisory board in place. Um, and our sole objective is to try and identify the organizations which are doing the most amount. Um, so I'll use an example, i.e. Google at the, you know, Google is one of the most desirable companies to work at. They attract some of the best talent. Um, so what are they doing to, what are they doing to make it as attractive? What are they doing to build a winning team culture? So immediately you kind of identify Identify that is an organization that we would like to try and get them and extract the knowledge. So it's just about finding the right people within those organizations that are willing to share and showcase their knowledge. So I think that's probably the biggest challenge that we face is trying to extract that knowledge and get people to really explain to other organizations what they're doing and how they do it. Because obviously that IP is their own. And that's yeah. the probably the biggest challenge is trying to get them to discuss that and promote it um, and, and get people to understand what they're doing. So there are certain challenges, and hopefully I've answered the question there, but um, it's kind of along the lines which, you know, I feel that for us as an organization, us as the objectives that we have to adhere to is to try and look at the best teams, best organizations, and try and extract that knowledge. Sure. Okay. So that would obviously bring us to your, the summit that you guys have, mm. and you are getting the best of the best to come together. So last October, you guys had the big summit in Cape Town? Yes, we did. Uh, 250 top coaches from across the world, um, hugely successful, um, sold out. So a uh, magnificent event, and it's really becoming one of the things to do on the, on the coaching circuit. So you're getting a whole bunch of people from around the world. Like you say, it's not always necessarily sports people. It's people who know how to work in high-performance t- uh, pressure situations. You get them together. You have the summit. What is the sort of takeout like? So you have a summit. You have these people talking amazing things. I've been to come some of these similar kind of things because – Thought leaders, that's like a buzzword in sport business, whatever nowadays. And these coming together have become very sort of fashionable. But what is the next step? How do you really affect change after that, taking the best of what your summit is in order to really influence? Because that's what your guys' goal is. So our main objective is to try and uh, – let me rephrase that. Our our sole purpose and our focus and our passion is to try and bring a diverse range of coaches from a really – from a variety of different industries. So at our event, you know, you can get, i.e., um, you know, a township coach that can almost, that can rub shoulders with the performance director of right, Arsenal. Okay. So that's really where we influence change. Um, I'm not going to say that you're going to be the world's best team if you come to the Conquer Summit in Cape Town. However, you will meet a lot of people that could in, enable you to become a better. And it's all about ups, upskilling. It's about cross-pollination. It's about saying, you know, I if you come to the Concrete event, you're going to meet the head coach from Melbourne Storm, which is a top NRL team, or you're going to meet the performance director of Arsenal or the head scout at Chelsea Football Club. You know, that's the network and that's the, the influence that we drive. And that's really our passion is to try and influence people in order to be better. 
Well, see, that's what I like about it because it's not just about having some marquee event where you're charging top dollar for all these guys to basically have a big circle jerk of um, how great I am. You're uplifting the areas as well. How much government participation have you found that you've had so far? I don't mean this conversation to get too like deep and heavy right now. Um, you know, like, are you getting local authorities, local administrators to come on board? Because this sounds like a fantastic platform where you can only learn and, and grow. Well, we've only been going for just just over three years. So okay. this is this October is going to be our fourth event. So it is growing substantially. Um, up until now, the Western Cape Department of Sport are our only government organization as it stands. Okay. However, Makes sense because it's a Cape Town summit. Yeah. How, however, um, it is very well supported by them. I think they, they do send close to 13 to 15 coaches from across the Western Cape, um, which is fantastic. Um, the other... The other departments or other provinces um, haven't um, taken up as, as quickly as I would have hoped. That's not to say that we haven't provided the opportunity, but I suppose being maybe in Cape Town, they do have certain challenges. Um, but I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be involved. And I think that's that's maybe been a little bit frustrating because everyone's going on about coach education. We need to upskill our coaches. We're looking oh, at the transformation. Geez, yeah. But then when we do provide an opportunity for them, um, there tends to be barriers, um, which – it's strange, I must admit. Yeah, look, I think there's always going to be those barriers, unfortunately, because some people believe they can do their own job. And the moment someone, I mean, you see it in all corporates, the moment someone comes in who's dynamic and has ideas, people get scared because they feel the insecurities come out. So I'm pretty sure with you guys doing what you do, you will have some apprehension from a variety of people. Last year, I interviewed some people from the Premier Skills uh, organization. So they go around the world and they're upskilling coaches all the time. It was a really cool interview. And again, I love talking to people like that because you see things happening. I, with you, do you, do you look at these seminars as going, these summits and going, okay, right, this year we've got a particular focus on this, so we'll have these kind of people, or is it very much a kind of across the board and you guys are always offering a very similar kind of offering? Our motive is uh, pushing the boundaries of human performance, so okay. the diversity. So we're looking at not only the soft skills, but we're looking at a, ver- a variety of different subsectors within the sports performance sphere. So looking at nutrition, looking at um, scouting, we're looking at uh, building um, winning team cultures so that's more leadership so we don't necessarily have a set theme or topic every year where we'll target a specific um, person um, what we try and do is we try and drive a range of different people so well, it's quite a unique umbrella that you are offering so yeah um, it is and that's and that's I suppose been um, you know why we've over the last number of years has grown quite significantly is because a large number of organizations in year one might have only sent two coaches now you know we're getting 15 16 even up to 20 coaches that are wow. attending from one organization so they're not just looking at okay He's the head coach of, of Stellenbosch Cricket, for example. He needs to attend. They say, okay, who within that whole that sits under that Stellenbosch sport umbrella, who would benefit most? Um, and they're a prime example of someone uh, of an organization that does utilize our offering uh, substantially. Um, and that's not to say, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, in fact, the universities are probably the biggest supporters of us in, in South Africa. So a lot of um, focusing on the youth development skill sets, uh, focusing on uh, the driving upliftment and also um, driving the pipeline of talent because, as we know, Varsity Cups exploded over the last number of years, and that's really where a lot of our talent is driven from. So, um, yeah, obviously very happy with it um, at the moment and, you know, obviously growing continuously. So to answer your question, what we try and do is we try and get as many coaches from one organization as possible so it can touch various different um, touch points, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess as well. I know we've seen this kind of policies quite a lot. That's, you know, on the African continent, people believe that there should be African solutions to African problems. What you're doing is that you're touching on a whole bunch of international expertise and stuff like that. And you really are raising the bar. Do you find it's, it's quite challenging that when you get or you're trying to do a lot for a local community, but you've got international way of thinking? Do you believe it's about just always providing excellence and everything will raise as, a, as, an, as an example? Or is it about kind of refocusing how expertise are then sort of um, utilized in, say, South Africa or Zimbabwe, um, Uganda, whatever it may be. I think we have to continuously raise the bar. You know, sport is ever changing. It's becoming more competitive. There's more access to resources, more money being driven. I mean, we're looking at how much player, Premier League players are going for. Now, it's if we, com- if we compare that to obviously a South African context, it's, it's chalk and cheese. So we want organizations in South Africa to aspire to be that. And it's all about giving, setting the bar. And if that's where the bar is set and if that's where the standard is, why aren't we there? And that's about organizations within South Africa and coaches to see what are the best doing and how can we get there. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, you'll, 
for, for our sports summit in Cape Town this year, which our agenda set, I think there's only two South Africans that are going to be speaking out of 12 speakers. So most of them coming from Australia, the US, the UK, the guys that are really moving and shaking and really doing the most innovative things um, across the world. Those are the people that we want to be engaging with. So our organizations in South Africa can look at that and say, what are they doing right? How are they doing it? And why aren't we doing that? So I think setting the bar as high as possible is, is imperative. Damn right. You get my vote in that all day. Uh, I had two more questions for you, but one thing I do want to touch on before we go, because uh, we need to get into our Ashes chat. I told you, like time flies here. Huh? No, we, need, we talk about sports. It's like a different kind of time altogether. Uh, you guys have, obviously, all this expertise. Would it like an ideal situation, would you want to kind of work directly with, with uh, federations or organizations or do you always want to retain what you've got and just incorporate more people on your terms? I mean, like, and from your personal standpoint, obviously with your player management kind of aspirations early on, do you see Conquer what you offer evolving into something that's going to be very uh, consultancy or are you always going to retain the sort of power base of knowledge? I think for now we want to almost create a melting pot. So um, probably the latter, you know, we want to bring as many people together as possible and try and drive that networking slash content. Um, however, moving forward, I think more of a consultancy type vertical will um, be inherent. Uh, I think it's going to establish itself into something along those lines. We've already been approached by a number of organizations saying, do you provide consulting services? Because that's what I was thinking. I mean, like, let's just use sorry for a hypothetical example, not because they need you guys. I'm just purely hypothetical you know for them to say right you guys are going to head up our high performance acquisitions and general management of our hubs or whatever there is we'll I mean, take that opportunity today but it would, it would make a lot of sense because mm. when you outsource things to a greater expertise and again i'm speaking hypothetically here and not saying sorry or underneath your guys expertise and all that in terms of conditions <laughs> but it would just make a lot of sense because you're you're putting an area of expertise where you don't have a track record and you bring in specialists who can i mean it just makes perfect sense if we talk about best practice here Absolutely. So we almost perceive ourselves as knowledge brokers because that's what we are. Sure. So we're not ne we're not necessarily the experts, but our our portfolio of experts is extensive. As said, you know, we work with guys in the military, the FBI, uh, AFL teams, NRL teams right across the world. So those expertise we can obviously draw from, and if we can put together some form of plan or um, consultancy vertical where we can offer um, workshops or seminars to a specific group of people that fall under one organization once a month, that's absolutely something that we'd be and we are looking into um, and as I said we have been approached by a number of organizations that do want us to provide those skills um, and opportunities to them but yeah at this stage you know we're trying to um, get the sports summit up and you know really become uh, one of the most recognized sports programs across the coaching you know fraternity um, and then we've also got our London program um, which caters towards more of a business business performance community so we're trying to establish those two brands and I think once we well known and established as you know or we are perceived as you know the epicenter of coaching or sports performance or business performance then you know we can start branching out into you know more niche areas where we yeah. can provide those services you set up your own units and subsections mm. final thing uh before we get into our ashes discussion with dennis you guys are well i suppose pioneering something on a schoolboy rugby level you call it the conquer contest is this something that's still very much in, in its infancy it is um as i said you know we launched our uk product last year so Unfortunately, it's taken a little bit of a back burner. Um, however, what we want to do is create almost a, um, an under 18 slash under 19 schools World Cup where we invite oh, wow. the top two rugby schools from South Africa, New Zealand, Australia and England, Ireland, Wales to play in a winner takes all World Cup form in South Africa. Um, we have had some um, resistance because it doesn't necessarily drive a development angle because it's more perceived as elitist. Sure. Um, the top two schools and then all coming together. However, well, you, you guys are in elite sports though. I mean, we talk about going back to raising that bar again. Exactly. You, you so, can't be everything to everybody. We can't. Um, but there are other opportunities which have come on the back of those conversations which we are currently exploring as well but it's a, it's an extremely exciting forum because it does bring the world's best under 19 players to this country to showcase their talent and you know it's, it's a school's world cup and it's a knockout so you know each team is guaranteed three games um the winners obviously five games and it's a winner takes all so it's it's not like how we've got various tournaments in south africa for example you know we've got um you know the the standard bank um you know 
various different, you know, schoolboy rugby um, competitions. You know, you've got the Wilderklave and then you've got the Easter rugby festivals. Um, whereas those don't have winners. It's just one team plays another team that necessarily yeah. doesn't ever play against it's each other. Exhibition whereas nature, really. Imagine having like the top schoolboy rugby team in South Africa playing like Rotorua boys or Wellington boys in, in New Zealand in a, in a final. Um, and then the winner takes all, you know, then they can get sponsors. You can drive a lot of investment and you can showcase what the best top six countries in the world and their best talented under 19 or maybe even under 18 level. So it's a, it's a great initiative. Um, but as I said, we've had some resistance, um, but it's not to say that we can't navigate those and put something on that's extremely spectacular. Well, Justin, I wish you all the best with everything you go on doing forward because I believe when there's, when there's pillars of excellence and there's excellence of goalposts and benchmarks and all these other things, it gives us all something to strive for rather than always thinking, oh, you know, we're so bad at this, we're so poor at this, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Sure. Address things at every single level, but I think excellence must never be forgotten. It's always got to be like everyone needs a goal. And I think so far, again, this is my personal opinion, but a lot of the time in South Africa, we become so obsessed with problems. We become so obsessed with poor outcomes and where we are and what's happening. We we actually forget to look ahead and know what are we actually working towards. It's all this like circling around and nothing really happens. So I applaud your efforts and everything that you guys are doing at Conquer. And um, it'd be great to have like another interview maybe next year to see more progress. Absolutely. Because where there's talent, it can become excellence, but we need to have those goals. And you guys are very much on that side of the spectrum, which I really, really admire. Absolutely. And, and um, we've also, as I said, you've interviewed Dan, who's our content director. You know, his objective is every once every two weeks to interview a top coach, manager, business leader. Um, so, yeah, for any of you listeners out there would like to catch up and see the kind of content that we're doing on the various events. If you go to www.conquergroup.com, that's C-O-N-Q-A group.com. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff on there, really exciting things that we're doing. Um, so, yeah, look forward to it. And thank you very much for having me. Cool. Justin, good. thanks so much for coming through. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you have, if you're just listening now, you can catch the full podcast. That'll be cliffcentral.com. Otherwise, the bounce will still be later on this afternoon, 11th of Jan. Right. We must get into cricket. And the best way to ever intro Dennis Friedman is by playing James Anderson. This is James talking. No, that's not James. This is James talking about, uh, well, looking forlorn after the Sydney test. Dennis on the other side of this. The standout thing is the concentration. I think you see the, the application of the Australian batsmen, um, happy to just op- occupy the crease and wait for their opportunities to score runs uh, as and when they come. Uh, really reading the game pretty well. Uh, sim- similarly with the ball, you know, we've, we've created pressure from both ends for a little bit, but then, you know, there'd be a release from somewhere from... Uh, one bowler from one end there'd just be a, you know a one poor spell will get them back into the game and I think that's that's a big learner for us that, that sort of concentration is you know when you get to 60 or 70 with the back and you go on uh, make it a big 100 as they did and when you're into your 20th 25th over as a bowler can you still perform at your best and um, I think that's something that we've got to try and improve on going forward finally, that just sounds like baby steps doesn't it Dennis concentration at this level I'm not even sure that was uh, James Anderson, because he wasn't blaming somebody else for his uh, woes. Are you sure that was Jimmy? It, you know what? I spent so much time trying to find you that clip because you're right. It was a clip where he wasn't bitching about uh, Aussies bowling too fast or sledging or the weather was too hot or the beds weren't comfy enough. You know what? He almost took, he almost took on a, a captaincy role there, obviously because Joe Root was having a cry in the change room. Ah, oh, these English. So I, I, I guess just to say hello and, and, and welcome, but the first question's got to be, did this Ashes win kind of feel hollow? Uh, it's hard to explain if, you, if you're not Australian or English. There's never such, there's never, there's, there's not such a thing as a hollow Ashes win. Um, uh, 5-0 would have been better. 4-0 was pretty good. I mean, it, as a contest, Ben, it was, it was a bit, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? You know, it was, it was a bit bland. It was, you know, like dancing with your sister. But um, in terms of being able to sit back at home and watch England squirm and complain and bitch and lose, uh, you know, that only comes around every couple of years. And that, that's a very special thing that you want to share with your kids and your grandkids. Well, it's now nine out of ten test losses for the English team, the hapless English team. And, you know, it kind of actually pisses me off because it would have been ten out of ten if you guys would actually have a decent wicket in uh, the MCG. What the hell's happened to that place, these dead drop-ins? Yeah, oh, well, look, we lost oh, we lost probably half a day to rain. And I think if we hadn't, uh, you would have seen some funky declarations and a bit of this and a bit of that. But, uh, yeah, Melbourne's lost a bit of its... Uh, 
they had a bit of chutzpah. Melbourne used to get a bit of bounce, um, and it was really good on day four and five. You'd see some things happen, and the yeah. last couple of years has been a bit flat. I agree with you on that. We, I, I, there was a, look, there was a lot of um, scrutiny on the groundsman on, on that particular pitch. It's just that's that's just uh, the groundsman getting it wrong, to be honest. But uh, you know, you've only got twelve months to prepare one test match for the year. You reckon you'll be able to get it right? Well, you would think so. Now, looking at the, you know, obviously India are in SA right now, and the 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 Newlands pitch. I mean, that's like a bipolar psych patient at the moment. But Graham Smith, who I've got to commend, is becoming a decent commentator because, firstly, he's quite relaxed, so he throws out some pretty left field things from time to time. But he made a very good point that because of T Twenty cricket, these these pitches are being used a lot more. They're becoming a lot more docile. You're not getting like these big um, seeming wickets that are going to do a lot for the bowler. And it's almost like um, I, ne- I never thought of that, but some of these pitches are becoming a little bit too bland. Do you, do you think that's a fair comment? hundred percent. New Orleans was a cracker. It's probably been the best test match I've seen for a long, long time. And, yeah. and the reason being is that the ball was doing something. The batsman actually had to bat and use some skill and some craft rather than just stand there and play down the line. Um, I'm with you though. I'm a big fan of Graham Smith. Anybody that breaks up with his Wi-Fi text messages, you know, I'm, I'm a massive fan of, and uh, will continue to follow everything that he says. He's going to become a new Shane Warne, Graham Smith. You know what? I just don't think he's quite got the charm of Warney, <laughs> which, which is which is quite a compliment. <laughs> no, but, uh, how good? How good was that Newlands test? I mean, uh, India had every chance under the sun to to finally um, get off to a good start in South Africa. They've never won a test series in south africa they've never won one in australia either and uh when they had you guys at you know three for 12 um and then you see ab come out of nowhere and faf come out of nowhere and kind of just put on a little partnership and then geez uh, that uh, it was funny I, I actually tweeted at the time i reckon it was the second hour of play on the first session of the day and i said um the last half an hour have just, has just cost India the whole test match. And it was um, <laughs> amazing that in, in 30 minutes in the first session, you could see that the match was over because um, they'd let Faf and AB get off the hook. But uh, I loved I thought it was the best wicket I've seen for a long, long time. Things were happening. There was some great bowling. Philander's just an absolute freak. Um, and, and again, we, we've seen Coley choke with the red ball when uh, his team needs him. He couldn't do it when Steve Smith's Australians visited him last year. He, had, he's, he wasn't able to stand up when there was a win there on the table for him. This time he made five runs. Yeah. Um, he, you know, everyone will defend him on the white ball, and I've got no qualms with him on the white ball, but when it comes to red ball cricket um, against the big three, he's, he's an absolute sitting duck. He can't even make runs in England. That's a very good point. But I, what I'd love to see, and this is why I'd, I'd, I'd love to have my own TV network one day, is to have a montage of Coley's behavior from the slips. <laughs> It was absolutely. What do you prices. think of his? Uh, what do you think of his uh, wicket celebrations? Uh, they, they were ridiculous. It was like he, it just looked like he was the popular kid in high school, and he was the captain of the team because his dad was rich or whatever, and he acted like that. But from throwing the ball into the ground to obviously how he felt about Fuff's um, LBW not be, or going to umpire's call and staying not out, and then how he celebrated the catch afterwards. But then you saw him on that that fourth day, which is the final day. I mean, he really thought that that game was won. But the only problem is, it was one provided he could actually bat for maybe, let's just say, an hour or two, not not twenty minutes. <laughs> oh, he's not he's not even the most important batsman in that team. Pajara is the most important batsman yeah. in their team, and if Pajara hangs around for a couple of hours, if he can bat a session, he's in, and he's impossible to move. And um, the the only reason South Africa won that match is you got Pajara twice fairly early. Because um, if, if you hadn't, oh, I don't I don't rate Coley on anything that moves. Um, but if you hadn't got Pajara early, that, that could have been a very different result. But geez, what a man. It just refreshed and reminded me why Test Cricket is the, is the kingmaker. It was such Completely. a good game. Completely. And it was so great to see AB back. I mean, I know we don't often celebrate, you know, 60s and 70s in Test Cricket. I mean, if we did, there'd be statues of Joe Root out there. But that, that innings, <laughs> that innings for AB and that first innings, the way he just like, okay, well, Everyone's nicking off. The bitch is definitely doing something, but screw it. I'm taking my Indian MRF bat and I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit some boundaries. It was just such an AB innings. It was like, it, it's, it was just incredible. The fact that he was scoring at such a rate and the Indian bowlers were, I mean, Kohli was like, oh, this guy's doing this again. He, you know, he's pulling a he IPL. Took, yeah. He just took him on and, and he took the game on and he, and he changed it. The other, the, uh, here's another question for you. When's, uh, 
MRF, the Madras Rubber Factory, going to change their name from a colonial Madras to, you know, back to Chennai? Why are they still so uh, <laughs> driven by colonialism? <laughs> if a name broke. Uh, Dennis, this whole Ash discussion is going terribly. It really, it really is. <laughs> uh, back to the Ashes. I, I, I want to put this to you, Ben. If I had said to you before the squads were announced for the Ashes, before the first test, before we knew any teams... Um, that the Marsh brothers, the Marsh brothers combined, would make more centuries than the whole of the English team through the series. Given that Sean Marsh wasn't in the last team, and, and Mitch Marsh had dropped out of Test cricket and said, "No, no, I've got to get my Shield stuff right before I play Test cricket," so neither of them were going to be picked. Um, we, uh, you could have written your own ticket, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be known forever as the as the, Mar- as, as the March uh, uh, March Marshes Ashes series, or as I like to call it, the Marshes. Well, I think what really underlined it was that really awkward celebration that they had in the middle. That, that to me, was the ashes right there. <laughs> it's like England can look on her awe at these two siblings fumbling around the middle because they've basically been better than your entire team for a five-test series. And it's moments like that. You probably won't see Getty images, top 10 images of, of they're choosing that one. But that was, a, that was a huge moment for me, and I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mitch only came in for the third test because, uh, if you recall, Hanscom was batting at... Uh, yeah. At uh, five, and he, he played the first two tests at the Gabba and Adelaide and then got dropped. Um, and then so they replaced him with Mitch, and he came out and made the 180 at, at, at Perth, went to bed, came back the next day and went out the first over the next day, which was which was typical Marsh. But oh, sure. uh, And then Sean made his 100 at the SCG, which was fantastic, and um, as did Mitch. But, um, you know, the whole that whole Ashes thing for me started really weird. So we, we, we went to Brisbane, the Gabatoire, for the first match, and England were two for 140 after winning the toss and batting. And I thought, oh, something's going on here. And then it took a Nathan Lyon run out um, to get uh, Fancy Pants Vince out. And then the whole game changed, and that was it. The, again, it was almost like on the first day of the first test, you could tell that the whole series was over based on one moment and uh, no, it's, very it's much a- what's happened with your South African test match with India, and uh, all because of the GOAT. It's, and it's so true because Lyon was one of the guys who was talking about careers ending and that kind of stuff. And there was a lot of, like, a lot of Australian hype going to that series. And, and in England, as you say, 240 or whatever, they must have been looking around going, hang on a second. These guys were all talk and suddenly, you know, we're the ones doing all the walking. And then it's so true that one, that one ran out. But that's, you know, that's what happens to flaky teams. They could always have just, you know, restarted, but they didn't. Well, yeah. And that, and Lyon was right. He he did end careers. I don't think we well. Sorry, he should have ended careers because uh, England have announced their test squad for New Zealand uh, yesterday, and they've blamed Gary Balance, who didn't play one game on tour, and dropped him <laughs> and no one else. But uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know that's typical typical England, isn't it? Uh, you can't make us up. Uh, just like, like the last thing, because I mean the Ashes are, are done and dusted, as you say. It's not a hollow, it's not a hollow victory because you can't ever say that it was something that has been going for so long. England are they really are pants when they go away to to Australia. They've shown that. But one thing that was obviously the the glaring problem here was that if you look at the the, the top bowlers, we've already gone through the, the top batsmen and seen that the Marshes collectively yeah. are better than England. But obviously Cummins, so great to see him play an entire series and not break down. Obviously prior to the series, I mean, I think uh, Dan mm. Leakey actually retweeted all the things that he saw about uh, Cummins breaking down. as a show like a <laughs> in your face. Stark, Stark is pretty handy as always. So 23 wickets for Cummins, 22 for Stark, 21 for Hazelwood. So there you got it. You, you got your entire pace attack, the three highest wicket takers. Then you got uh, Gary Lyon there, 21. So talk about dominance. The, ne- the best English bowler was obviously the best English bowler of all time. That was James Anderson. He snuck in with 17 because he got a couple of RC ones under the lights. But then you got- hold on, hold on. Was, was, hold on. Was Fred Truman playing? <laughs> James Anderson, he's got the James Anderson end at Old Trafford. Dennis, he, oh Jesus! He, what a joke. he averaged twenty-seven. So he averaged twenty-seven for the series, and he, they were talking up. Oh, how well did he bowl? He took one fifer with a swinging ball, pink ball under lights at Adelaide yeah. when the match was over. They were two hundred runs behind. <laughs> So, I mean, Anderson aside, because obviously we, we do dog him rightfully or wrongfully, but then you got Broad, who was meant to be their hard man. He was meant to be their guy who take it up there. 11 wickets and an average of 47. Uh, Wokes didn't play. I feel, I feel sorry for Broad, Ben. I, I actually reckon he put in a bit. Um, uh, he had a crack, and I think he actually looked like their best bowler for the series, even though he didn't take the wickets. He was... 
the one that made them some things happen. He was the one that uh, had little spells of enforcement but just didn't get the results. And it could have easily have been the other way around where he was the leading wicket-taker. But, uh, yeah, you, you're being, you're being um, softer, you know, Dennis. He's, you're being he's softer. an easy guy to pick on, Stewie Broad. Well, look, it's just that... He, in places like this, I mean, we started off our little interview here with James Allen talking about concentration, talking about big moments where they just let things slip. And unfortunately, as as good as Stuart Broad may have, may have bowled, whatever, he just didn't. It didn't follow through. And this is England's whole problem: is that you need mm. these players in big situations to kick on. I mean, Works as well. He was meant to do something. He got ten wickets in there, pointless fifty. No, he was uh, shit. Overton. Uh, Overton, Curran—they're all—they're probably the same person. I don't know. Everyone knows the difference. Oh uh, no! Well, they've dropped. They've dropped. So Curran, Curran was probably their most exciting bowler and showed something. They've dropped him for New Zealand, where the ball swings as well. So they got yeah. rid of him because okay. that would be a challenge to Jimmy's dominance. Smart, um, yeah. yeah, Overton got himself injured. He shouldn't have played anyhow. I don't know if you're aware of his, the racist comments he made back in England before he came away a year ago. But uh, you know, I know. they're going to play. They've played a. Yeah, he, he sledged. A, he, he told a guy that he was playing in county cricket to go back to his own country, who just happened to be English. But um, uh-huh. that was interesting. And then uh, <laughs> this is how clever they are. <laughs> and obviously, there's a Ben Sto- Ben Stokes didn't get to play, um, which 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 fascinates me because you know I'm I'm one I'm a big believer that if you break a guy's eye socket. In a pub fight, that's no reason why you shouldn't be able to, you know, leave the country and not be charged. How <laughs> yeah, well, that's been going on for six months now. It has. It's been ridiculous. But like, do do you think that Stokes would have been someone who could maybe have, I don't know, like galvanised the team, and then Broad would have got more wickets? Uh, Mona Lee would have actually featured. I mean, do you think that is, or is that just a bit of a stretch? Well, they replaced him with Woke, so they've kind of gone a bit like for like. Wokes just didn't perform, and he's a good player. Um, oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think maybe he might have leveled out with Mitch Marsh in the scheme of things, you know, but no. <laughs> nothing much more than that. But um, it, well, probably not. Mitch made 200, so yeah, probably nothing. I, no, I don't. I wouldn't have changed the result. Well, see, uh, I disagree to a certain degree because people are talking about, well, you know, the English press, obviously. Well, you know, we've got to just prepare for the next series and make sure we learn from our mistakes. I think bullshit about that. I think when you go to Australia, this is another thing that frustrates me about this. People don't never understand Australian culture and why they are the way they are, and they're very good. And I support them, obviously, because I'm a big fan of Australians like yourself. But you've got to go there with people who can fight, like literally. And Ben, mm. ben Stokes <laughs> wasn't in the team because he knows how to fight. This is like the big... <laughs> This is the big, like, travesty here, is that, yes, it's against the law to break eye sockets, but at least it shows you've got something. You've got a bit about you. And you look at the rest of this team here. Uh, uh, I mean, they all, the, the, the biggest thing for, the biggest thing for me, um, was just the sooking. They sooked about everything yeah. from day one. Um, and it started with, oh, Actually, before the first test, um, if you remember, the Daily Mail released a st- uh, the Sun released a story about um, oh, there's match fixing going on in the Ashes. Yeah. So their press tried to get on the front foot, and it was all bullshit, right? All made up. Of course. Part of the uh, part of the leaks to try and get the press going, and um, but they tried to get off on the front foot. And when the Australian press came back over the top with fifty other things that were much more interesting, including Nathan Lyon hanging out with a new chick, um, who, some fancy real estate agent. I mean, that, this is gold. <laughs> but, they just these guys just can't handle it, um, and they crumbled. They just every time there was a press conference, you know, I, I don't know if you saw any of Jimmy Anderson's sort of. Um, he was writing for the Telegraph back in the UK, and I don't know who his ghostwriter is um, was, but I can guess. Um, but everything was about oh, after Adelaide, yeah, I know I bowled too short, but the coaches didn't tell me to pitch it up, dude. You got five hundred freaking Test wickets. You don't know how to bowl. It's just. Yeah. And you definitely kept been to Australia and compounding before. Compounding yeah. and compounding and compounding. But Dennis, the, um, the thing is, like they, they do that because they don't know how to fight. When you don't know how to do one thing, you do another thing. So it's like I, I, I really believe these guys just. It's not about the fact that they're not. I mean, we know Broad's a great bowler. I mean, he came to South Africa and he just tore through the team here. These guys are good. Yeah. But it, I think it's an inherent quality of being able to fight. Putting aside all these different things, like, oh, it's the this, it's this, it's sledging, oh, it's the body line. When you know how to fight, those things aren't a factor. It just, it just makes yeah. you more they've, they've, And they've probably only got a couple in there. Broad can fight, clearly. Johnny, um, Johnny Bairstow put up a, a couple of good innings and was quite yappy. Also head-butted an Australian player, which was fun. Um, so, you know, um, that went all right. Alistair Cook, with his career on the line, made that 244 not out and carried his bat. So you've got to tip your lid to that bloke. Sure. Um, but there wasn't much else. Moan Ali was just 
uh, it was like having a twelve-year-old girl out there. F- five um, wickets. The rest of the yeah, the f- rest of five the fast bowlers were horrible. Um, Vince and Stoneham barely a whimper, you know, a fifty here, a fifty there, but just couldn't hang around. And Joe Root, God bless him, with you know, with a Test match on the line in Sydney, decides to uh, I'll just fall asleep in the change room rather than stay. Look at this the way this, right? So Joe Root's sick overnight and decides to, to retire her and fall asleep in the change room with a test match on the, on the line. Could you imagine in the 80s, Dean Jones, when he made that 210 in Chennai, yeah, when me. he's shitting his pants and pissing on the pitch and hallucinating, ever walking off the ground in an Alan, in an Alan Border team? It wouldn't happen. I mean, like, like Gundy was, um, in, was in better shape after a month than Dean Jones. You know, it was Yeah, just... and uh, even when in the last series was um, in India that Australia went to India and, and Renshaw retired her to take a shit. Because he had food poisoning, yeah. Um, all the old players came out and said, "That's just not on. You just shit your pants and stay out there, you know." But can you imagine England doing that? Oh no, that's not proper. You'll wreck the whites. You'll wreck, you'll wreck the whites because I mean, that's the you're wrecked anywhere. But exactly, like when you read when you read Steve War's autobiography, and he tells you like when you go into these conditions, to what you got to do, you've got to just stay out there. You've got to keep fighting. I mean, like Graham Smith, yeah. Graham Smith broke the hand that he eventually then texted his wife. It's over with. <laughs> and, and he still came out well, to Mitch Johnson, I, I, Mitch Johnson broke that hand twice. Exactly. And it, but he still came out. So, yes. Like, I, I, I just think the takeaway here is that England have got to start learning how to fight properly. Ben, ben even Michael Clark, the punziest of all Australian captains in the history of cricket, played with a broken shoulder in Cape Town and made 160 well, against Morkel, Stain, and these blokes. Yeah. Now, Michael Clark, with, with blonde tips, and an earring can do it. Surely Joe Root can do it. <laughs> uh, exactly. Okay, so f- final thing, because we uh, time has flown here. Um, the Aussie okay. team, they're coming, to, they're coming to SA in March. It'd be really great if you can come with them. But where would you see, where would you like to see them kind of improve or just bolster the stocks or be slightly better, seeing as there will be a sterner test? Uh, yeah, that's a very good question. I'm... Um, Dave Warner's missing an opening partner, so Bancroft probably didn't cover himself in glory this series, and I'm still not sure what I dropped Renshaw. Um, and I reckon Renshaw is the one to come to South Africa because he proved in India he can just bat time. And I think yeah. if you're going to come and face your pace attack, you need someone that can leave the ball, um, get the shine off the ball, and, and face Stain and Morkel in their second spell, not their first spell. Um, I keep forgetting Rabada, who's now the youngest number one ranked bowler in the history of man. Yep. Um, so you got a, you got an attack. Um, so we're, we're missing a, we're missing that. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure on Kawaja. He tends to go well in the Southern hemisphere, not so well in the Northern hemisphere. Um, so I think, you know, number two, number three, a bit weak. Steve Smith, well, four, well, fine. Well, Dennis is fine because we're still in the Southern hemisphere. We're not going to move between now and March. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I just worked that out as I was saying it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Steve Smith, Kind of going all right, I reckon. Um, then Sean Marsh, Mitch Marsh, that at the moment tends to be flavour of the month. Um, we'll soon see if that works again. And the, look, you can't fault the bowling attack. The three quicks and lions is, is almost, you know, is a pretty good attack compared to, to your four quicks if they all get on the park, which in my mind is the best fast bowling quartet I've seen since the 1980s West Indies. It's just yeah. phenomenal. Um, and that's where I reckon you guys probably, and I didn't think you could ever say this, but I reckon you've probably got to slide up a hand in the bowling stocks because I reckon you're more likely to take 20 wickets than we are. Um, the batting's probably same, same. You know, if you line them up, and we've done this a few times over the years, Ben, but if you went head-to-head, it's probably going to be kind of equal. But I just reckon your, your bowling stocks is just this sort of once-in-a-generation type attack that you're not going to see very often again. Yeah, it's a fortunate place to be. I think from, from my perspective, from a South African perspective, I'm worried about Elgar and Umla. I mean, these are two guys that you would you, you pencil them in straight away on the test, but you know, if Umla in particular, he can go from centuries oh. to just playing lavish shots into the slips out of nowhere. Hold on, hold on. The, Elgar's, the pair's just had his best ever calendar year, and you, you're potting him because he had one bad test. No, I don't think he's had one bad test. He's um, look the, the the new guy Markram needs Elgar to obviously be solid because this new guy Markram, I think mm-hmm. he's the future. He's going to be amazing. But there's something about the pair. He he looks like he's going back to old ways, and I'm I'm a massive <laughs> fan of him. I really am. 
Yeah, but we haven't got oh, we haven't got Mitch Johnson. We got other guys. Hey, uh, no, I'm, I think Dean Elgar's Dean Elgar's a, a grade now. Um, I'm not so worried about. I'm sorry, as an Australian, I'm worried about him in terms of if from a South African perspective. I, you know, I think he's gonna he'll be fine. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, you're right about Markram. You probably what else? What, what any you've got? You got A B Faf. What happened to Bavuma? He's been booted out. He was my next big thing. Yeah, well, he's like that sort of um, accessory batsman now because if we're going to go with the top six, Decock goes at six and Ferns at seven, so then Bavuma has yeah. to fall away because he's essentially the sixth batsman. Yeah, well, it's a luxury having Decock, isn't it? It's like when we had Gilchrist. He's, uh, there's an, uh, uh, you, you've got one of your better South African teams floating around for a while. you got to remember, last summer you were out here and you beat us 2-1. Um so if you can do it in Australia, and I think your team's much stronger now than it was when you were over here. You didn't have Stain over here. You didn't have AB over here. Um, and I think it's going to be a real tough ask for Australia to get close, to be honest. Well, as history suggests, uh, SA wins in Australia. Australia wins in SA. Uh, I don't know if it's going to keep <laughs> going because Mitchell Johnson was so... Mitchell Johnson and David Warner, the two of them killed SA last time out in those test matches. It was something quite was something to behold. I remember being a spectator. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, we need, we need to do predictions before the series because if, if you recall, last time we predicted before that last South Africa Australia series over there where you are, and I said, I reckon David Warner's going to knock up his girlfriend, and he came back with a knocked up girlfriend. <laughs> oh, that is just levels, levels. Okay, we've run out of time for now, but I think we must. We, we must do, we must do um, a prediction thing prior to that test series. It's going to be really great. It's three tests, obviously, um, which is all yeah. happening in March. Forget about all the one days and this Indian series is going to be yeah. nothing more than a piss take, I think. Uh, I'm not saying it because I'm being arrogant. It's just that, you know, it's just harder for them to win here. It's just as simple as that. So, uh, Ashes, if they couldn't win on that pitch with that start. They're never going to win a test match in South Africa ever. Well, and, and Coley. I mean, the question marks around that guy right now it makes for great viewing. Uh, Dennis, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> that is, that's, that's, that's time up. So we have to pick it up again prior to the series in March, but thanks for your time as always. And, um, yeah, if you don't, if you don't follow Dennis on Twitter yet, well, I don't know. Maybe you don't listen to the show, which is also kind of worrying, but you can find Dennis on Twitter at, uh, Dennis Cricket underscore at the end. Otherwise, Dennis, what else do you want to plug? No, that'll do for now. I'll, I'll come back when I've got this movie finally finished yeah. and the book done. But uh, give me I, give me a month or so. Yeah, because I, I wasn't going to bring that up because I know you are busy, and uh, even though people are very impatient, that you have a great work of um, ma- a masterpiece coming. I know the, the trailer has come out at least. Uh, not really. You've had a sneak peek, I think, but uh, hopefully the next couple of weeks we'll get that out. So we'll oh, give right. everyone a view of what Pakistan's all about. Okay, then that was that special, Dennis. As always, thank you so much for your time. Huge, great, great. In- Sorry, blah, blah, blah. it's been a long day already. Hugely enjoyable having a chat as always. Thanks, Ben. See you, mate. All right, that's the bunch of four today. Thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks, big thanks to my guests, uh, Justin and Dennis. And yes, that SA versus Australia series. That's the heat, people. That's the one you want to go and watch. Um, no disrespect to India. I'm loving the series right now. And long may it be entertaining. Start Saturday in South Africa at Centurion, so nice fast wicket. If you are going, it's a great ground to go watch cricket. It really is one of my favorites. It's pro- oh, Look, it's, it's top three. I'd say Wanderers, Newlands, Centurion. Uh, it's very tight though. I love them all. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Everything else, thebounce.co.za uh, catch me there for the podcast this later this afternoon. Otherwise, on Twitter at followthebounce, uh, Instagram thebounce, and then on my YouTube channel uh, also followthebounce. Catch you back next week. This is cliffcentral.com.